Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 536th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who farms for yarn and more. We're talking with returning guest Chris McLaughlin about raising animals for fiber. Chris is the author of eight books written about her life's passions, gardening, small livestock, and the family farm. Her work can be found in Fine Gardening Magazine, Hobby Farm Home Magazine, Urban Farm Magazine, and more. Online, she's been a staff blogger for VegetableGardener.com, About.com, and many more websites. Chris is currently secretary of the Colored Angora Goat Breeders Association. Hmm, that's interesting. She and her family enjoy an entertaining and exhausting life in Northern California on their flower and fiber farm, Laughing Crow and Company. Chris, we got to meet you in episode 385 back in September 2018. Welcome back to the show. Are you ready to rock? I am. Thank you so much for having me back and let's do it. Ooh, absolutely. So yep. can you bring us up to speed on what's been happening with you since? Well, you know, since our last conversation, we actually moved not very far, you know, about an hour away from our other place. So we bought a new farm wow. and you know, the challenge with that is, of course, starting over. Yes. And, you know, it's really funny because that can be, it's challenging. And sometimes you kind of look around and you sigh. But, you know, it also is exciting because you can do things maybe differently, you know, that you had learned, you know, in the past from your other farms that maybe mm -hmm. you go, hey, this time I'll do it this way. So you also have a clean slate. So it's exciting and exhausting and, and all that at the same time. Wow. So you came back on our radar because of a new book that you have called, and I have it right here in front of me, it's a beautiful book, Raising Animals for Fiber. What does that mean? Well, basically, we are yarn farmers, and so we also have a flower farm, so we kind of combine these things. And basically, what that is is taking the fiber from the animals and, of course, either having it spun into yarn mm -hmm. or it can be felted. There's so many fiber things that can actually be done with wools, and most people are most familiar with sheep wool. But there are other animals that we use, too, for fiber, and, you know, they all have different reasons that 
they might be great to raise or maybe fit in your lifestyle. So I put a book together for people who are curious about what animal might work for them. They may already be fiber artists or knitters or hand spinners. And they may think, you know what, instead of just buying uh, this product, I think maybe I'll raise them for myself and have them at my fingertips full time. And sometimes they don't really know what might be best. So I just put this book together for that. It goes kind of in depth. I mean, it really talks about the different animals, but it doesn't get into too much medical things and all that kind of stuff. It's more of a a gateway drug <laughs> to uh, <laughs> you know to fiber farming, right? Yeah. So I'm looking at the contents of this, and we did mention up top, and I kind of commented on it: Colored Angora Goat Breeders Association. So there's Angora goats and there's Angora rabbits. Tell me about those. Right. Okay. So. They're, both of them come from the same areas, which is why they got, you know, Angora from Ankara, Turkey. Mm. But there is a vast difference between those fibers. And for that reason, Angora rabbits, their fiber is called Angora specifically. When you see a sweater at the store and it says Angora, that's rabbit always. What Angora goats produce is mohair. So if you've heard of mohair suits or, you know, they do, oh my gosh, they do carpeting and pillows and, and yarns, absolutely. All kinds of things with mohair, but they always, when you're saying mohair, it's always the Angora goat. So the only time we say Angora with those goats is just in their name. Otherwise it's mohair. The colored Angora goats, this is like really cool. This is like one of my favorite topics and because we raise Angora goats. So the Angora goats that are white, those are, that's your classic commercial Angora goat where you get mohair. Those have been around since biblical times. I mean, those guys are, they're part of the staple of our lives. They've been on this planet forever. And well, okay. Maybe not forever since, <laughs> but you forever, know, forever yeah, in our timeline. As far as I would ever know. Yeah. yeah. And, um, but the colored Angora goats, if those did pop up, they were very undesirable and they were culled from the breeding herd because what they're after is the white. So now about 35 years ago, a couple of women went around and they thought, hey, this might be really cool to collect up these colored goats and actually do this on purpose. I mean, after all, we have sheep with all the different colors. Everybody loves natural color. I mean, you can always dye these fibers, but the natural color is like very cool in the cottage industry. So they pulled all these goats together and they literally started breeding for colored Angora goats. And now we have browns and reds and, you know, all, all the variants in between black, gray, silver, all these different variant colors, but they've only been really around being bred on purpose for about 35 years. Wow. And as Yeah, and as it stands, our club, the Colored Angora Goat Breeders Association, they've only been around for 20 years. This is a very, very young uh, wow. variety Angora goats. Yeah, yeah, but they're beautiful and they're super cool. So that's, that's kind of where we're at on our farm. I did raise Angora rabbits as well for a while. And at this point, I only have one Angora rabbit because it was sort of, um, it's a little overwhelming to have the rabbits as well as the goats, because I, I actually found that the goats are in some ways a little easier for me than the rabbits because I had to blow them out a lot. So I kind of felt oh. like I, I'll stick with mostly one breed at this point, mm-hmm. uh, but, but I do have an Angora rabbit 
because it's nice to have Angora fiber, you know? Right. So, yeah. Well, and this is interesting because, you know, in looking through the contents of your book, I'm seeing a word that I know, and I have sweaters made out of this, but I never realized it came from a goat, and that's cashmere. Yes, absolutely. So cashmere is super interesting. Cashmere is really cool. So in general, in general, every goat in the wintertime, other than Angora goats, Angora goats do not ever produce cashmere as a pure Angora goat, but all the other goats on the planet, they get this nice warm undercoat on their bodies to keep them warm during the cold months. That is cashmere. So what happens is when you have a cashmere goat, now that cashmere may be so tiny and in terms of the length of the fiber, which is called staple length. So the staple length that'd be so short that it's maybe difficult to spin or to utilize. So what happens is, is that these cashmere goats, people were finding, you know, in other places of the world, that these goats were growing a longer staple. And so they, you know, once again, on purpose, bred these animals together to produce a longer cashmere staple, and they bred together the animals that would produce the most abundant amount of it so that we could have the most. So it isn't really a a breed at this point. I think they may be working on making it a breed from what I've heard from people, but it's really just a type. And so what happens is, is in the springtime, they start to shed out you know, that cashmere, mm-hmm. and they start rubbing it on fences and everywhere else, trying to, try to get it off tree branches if they're wild, right? So what people do is they go in and they just simply brush it, and this fiber is coming out because it's loose, just like what a dog sheds, and it's coming out and they gather it all up. But that's why cashmere is so expensive. They produce a very small amount of this this product. This is, you know, but it is very fine and, and uber soft and right. wonderful, and, and that's why your sweaters and stuff are so expensive when they're cashmere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I have a couple of cashmere sweaters, and you're right, they are uber soft. Yeah, they really are. They're wonderful. So we're going to talk about the other breeds that are in your book, but let's talk about the process from having a four-legged animal to having a cashmere sweater or a sweater or a mohair uh, hat. What is that? How do we go from four-legged animal to actually have something to wear? Well, you know, it's interesting. Of course, there's different ways to actually prepare a fiber because it's going to depend on what you're doing. But let's say in general, just starting with sheep's wool and in general, how that might be, how that might end up into yarn. So the sheep's going to grow his fiber for, you know, a year and then it gets shorn off. And by the way, I'm going to, yes, I'm going to plug this. These animals are not mistreated when they're shorn, guys. They are not mistreated. Now, anybody on the planet can mistreat an animal, including pet dogs, as mm-hmm. we all know. Yep. But no, I don't, I personally know literally a hundred breeders of different animals. And they all, I kid you not, they, I mean, they're out there if they're animals, you know, their babies are born and stuff, they're putting sweaters on them. I mean, you know, really. They're uh, pets. Yeah, you know, and and when we shear, and even if they have quite a few head, you know, even when we shear, we put them in a stand. Half the time they're in a stand with a grain bucket, and we're literally shearing them just like when you cut your hair. It's like it's it's so simple. And Mm -hmm. and if if an individual person is is negligent and not careful, they may nick them accidentally or things like that. But you know, predominantly across the world, this is something we have to do. If the animal is left with that fiber on them. They become matted 
And then their coat no longer acts as an insulator for them. Normally, if their their fiber's in good shape, not only is it protects them from the cold, but it also wicks away yes. the moisture in the heat. This is this is a really cool thing nature does. So if you leave that on the animal, they become matted and no longer does that coat function the way they should. And by their coat, I mean their their fiber, and they become matted and stuff. In the case of some sheep, oh, and when the mats start to peel away. They create sores and flies lay eggs. They get egg strike. They die a horrible death. I mean, this is like, you know, this is really good husbandry to make sure these animals are shorn. And some sheep become so heavy when they fall over on their side, they literally can't get back up. Wow. And so they either starve to death or a predator comes and gets them. So, you know, honestly, you know, good husbandry is shearing these animals when you're supposed to. So it I just, requires, I had to plug that. It's really important. Yeah, it requires, good husbandry requires that these these animals get haircuts. It does, yeah. it does. And when we rescue an animal from a situation where that's not happening, maybe the animal got lost or it's been abandoned or whatever. I mean, we're the first people in tears when they see mm-hmm. the condition of the animal. So it's, you know, I just want to point that out because people are worried about shearing. Oh, heck no. I have so many photos of my goats Munch, 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 munch. Well, we shear it, you know. Yeah. And so it's totally fine. Cool. But anyway, so you would shear them and then you would wash the fiber to get the, the, in the case of sheep, the lanolin out of it. You know, we do have in Angora goats, there's grease. It's not lanolin, but there is sort of a grease that needs to be, you know, washed out. Angora rabbits, not so much. Angora rabbits, to be honest, when I spin their fiber, I don't even wash it. It's in general, if they're kept, you know, in cages and stuff, the parts that you're using is quite clean. And yeah. so it's kind of a different story. But but anyway, in general, you're washing that fiber. And then often the wool will be carded with two cards. It look like uh, dog brushes. And that's to make the fibers lay straight and lay even across it for easy spinning. So it would be made either that way or by machine, a carding machine. But something to lay out the fibers in what would be called roving or bat. You know, um, it depends on what it comes off of and, and the length of it and things like that, what it's called. But it's like this really usable fiber that can then be spun up by hand spinners or by machine and then, you know, subsequently made into the yarn, which is then sold off to somebody who's going to knit it or crochet it, you know, or it might be made into roving and then some people might do felting with it. There's all different kinds of felting. There's needle felting, which is done with a sharp little needle and they poke it, often making little 3D characters. Also, like really beautiful, almost like paintings out of this fiber. I hope if whoever's listening will end up looking that up, it will blow your mind. It will blow your mind. These artists, it literally looks like paint. Wow. And it is fiber. I mean, it's really crazy. I can't do it, but you know. And then, you know, you can felt around soaps. You oh, can. Oh, yes, I've seen that before. Yeah, it's really cool. And some people will felt around the soap and then they'll needle felt this gorgeous photo on the top of the soap. Like, it's crazy. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah. So there's so many different fiber things that can be done, you know, with fiber. So depending on what people want to do, some people spin right from the lock. They might wash the fiber. So in the case of mohair, we do this a lot. And a lot of long wool sheep, people do this too, where they will spin it right as it lays in the curly little locks, which is how the Angora goat fibers lay. And they'll actually just spin it right into the yarn after it's been washed. And then these little ends, instead of being blended in with the yarn, they'll flick out 
And it'll be like this beautiful little art yarn where the ends of these curlies are coming out, which it makes a beautiful scarf or hat. It's really interesting and gorgeous. So, And also weavers. I don't want to forget yarn for weavers. Oh, my gosh. So many people love to weave on a loom. And they use all these different products, you know, for that. So depending on, you know, what you're after. So let's, let's talk about some of these different things. Spinning is actually spinning thread. Yeah, yeah. Well, thread is the tiniest yarn, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a yarn at its tiniest. Mm-hmm. So it should be thread for like your sewing machine. A little bit bigger might be a floss that you might use for cross stitch. And maybe a little bit bigger might be uh, for needlepoint or needlework. I do needlework, embroidery. You know, that might be embroidery thread. So depending on how the thickness of it is, you know, generally speaking, that will be, you know, determined on what it's called. But hand spinning is when you're taking any fiber. It could be animal, it could be plant fiber, whatever, any fiber. And you're actually taking it from as it's laying out there, maybe not exactly how it was growing off the animal or the plant, but very close to it. And twisting. It's just literally just twisting it and it pulls onto either a wheel or, you know, like I said, there's machines that actually spin yeah. this. T- so you're, you're turning, so, you're basically turning it into a string of, if, yes, if we you were are. looking at it, it would look like string, whether it's a, a thread string or a yarn string. But, Absolutely. Okay. Yep. And then, yep. then do we take this yarn thread string and weave it? Is that how that works? Well, if for a weaver, they would do that. They could take singletons, which singles are, I said singleton, I usually use that in terms of a single kid being born anyway. A single is just that one twist. So you're twisting, twisting, it's coming on, it's making a, a making a, you know, a string, but it's a single string. What typically happens, it doesn't have to happen this way, but most of the time it is plied with another single. And so what happens is you actually get the yarn that you see at the store where you can see all those, all those wraps you know, you can see like the wraps around each other. Right. Those are usually two or potentially three wraps around there. And that's actually because it actually balances out that yarn because you've got that twist going one way, right? You're twisting, 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 and then it's going onto the wheel that way. So then you would twist and do another one twisting. And then when you play them together, the wheel goes back the other way so that it, this yarn is going to be very well balanced. It's going to hang correctly and be very balanced when it's knitted up. But that isn't to say you can't use singles because like I said, depending on what you're doing with the yarn, you know, but mostly when you're making a yarn, it is plied back again onto the yarn to create a little twisted, you know, balance there. You can actually see that twisted onto each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and anything you see at the store is usually that way. Right. So we've got all these fibers, and we're clear that we'll make clothes out of them. What else can you do with these fibers? Well, gosh, oh my goodness. Well, you know, between, you've got, you know, the weaving, which some people do, you would do make clothes, you can make pillows, tapestries. A lot of people will do, they'll get the thicker ones and do the macrame. You know, macrame is coming back in, yo. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, we're all, all, what is old is new again. People weave cloths and then make that weaving into purses. You can also knit, you know, like put like a hat together and knit it and then turn around and wash it and felt it. Make those fibers stick together and it becomes felted but it started out as yarn, but, but it can also start out just as felting. We've also done, you know, many times in the horse world, the girths that hold that saddle 
under, you know, onto the horse, under the belly. Mm -hmm. Those are made with mohair fibers. And so, yeah. And in fact, I just got back from the mill that I'm going to be selling. I got to get this up on my website. We have mohair dog leashes right now. So I want one. Yeah, it was so cool. So it was spun, you know, and then wrapped together. And so it's this bigger, thicker. You're not going to knit with this, right? But we twisted it into the leashes. So now we've got a dog leash. And that can be done the same way with horse halters or animal leads, alpaca leads, goat leads, horse leads. So, I mean, really anything you can do with a string, you just have to kind of know what, what size you want, right? Well, as to what you're making, you can do with, you know, the fibers. There's so many neat things that people come up with all the time that I'm discovering. And, you know, they'll even take the cloth that they weave and the weaving doesn't end there. They'll either make it into a blanket or they might make it into a shawl or they might actually sew it into a, um, a purse. So, you know, there's, it just goes on and on. There's just feels like there's no limit. And how many animals do you have? I have a very small herd. I only have 15 Angora goats, which is really small in my world. That's like kind of laughable in some ways. (laughs) I mean, you know, compared to the really, you know, the people that are really moving forward with trying to, we're always trying to reduce an animal that creates even better fiber for longer amounts of time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for all those people who breed continuously, I breed every other year. I have a tendency, I know this is my bad, but I have a tendency to not sell my animals. I just, you know, well, they're your pets. <sighs> they are. We fall in love. Yep. And, you know, and the only way I'll end up selling them is if that is to like um, uh, another fiber artist, another fiber person who is so interested in where their fiber comes from. They're so interested in how that fiber is created and how well the animals are treated that that's like the only way I'll sell them. So I end up keeping my animals. So we have to breed every other year. Otherwise, we'd be overrated you know with with these wonderful creatures so when you know we have chickens here hens here at the urban farm and they're our pets oh yeah absolutely we let let, once they stop laying they get to live out the rest of their life in our backyard and you know selling one or giving one away that's just not going to happen so i completely understand (laughs) that yeah yeah we actually do that too i mean i know a lot of people who don't but uh which is you know perfectly fine i'm a meat eater we just don't happen to have meat animals right. it's just not our thing but i do eat meat so i i get it and i i respect it but our egg layers oh my goodness i my eight how old was she oh my gosh she was 13 i think years wow. old she passed away last year. Yeah. And she hadn't been laying for years and years. Right. But you know what? They go out there and they eat the ticks and things like that. Yep. I'm like, good on you. Thank you. Exactly. You know, help us out. Yeah. We don't need yeah. those ticks so, hanging around. So how long does an Angora goat live? You know what? I, you know, as, as when you're doing the whole pet thing, uh-huh. you know, when you're really these backyard farmers and stuff, you know, they live quite a while. I mean, honestly, I have two old ones right now that are about, uh, 13 and 14. Wow. And, and I think like 16 is a really, I mean, that's a, that's a really old life. That's a long time. Probably someone listening will go, Oh, I knew one that was old that you may that, and that can happen. But many times, you know, if they're really living out on pasture and doing a lot of stuff themselves and, and living a little more of a 
gosh, you know, I don't want to say natural life because I feel like mine do live a natural life, but they're less attended to, right? Because mm-hmm. there's like a hundred of them out there and, you know, whatever. They're probably going to live a little, a little bit, not quite as long because you might catch things early. You know, when they're right by your house and they're right, I see a sniffle and, you know, I, I know. You know, and I, yeah. even my, even my husband, it's really amazing. He'll just look out the window and I'm, I'm the goat person. I mean, he's totally helps me. He's like right there. And so is my son, but he'll look out the window and be like, you know, Betty White's down. I, she, you know, I, she doesn't normally lay down this time of day. What do you, you know, I mean, and it's like weird. It's just because mm-hmm. you see them constantly. Right. So I think when they're more out on bigger acreage, nothing wrong with that, by the way, love it. Nothing wrong, but just that they can't really get as much you know, attention or or you're not going to notice it quite as much when something might be going wrong. So they live maybe a little less long, but you know, these guys are fairly long lived. I mean, they live as long as, as a large dog for certain, for sure. Right. Right. I mean, in fact, small dogs live only to about 16, really. I mean, when you think about it, right. So, so yeah, so they're kind of, they're around a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you know, you said something a little earlier about not having a big a big amount of animals it's not surprising because you like i were educators oh, right so my yard right. is almost my hobby and what i right. do every day is i share with people and teach people how to grow their own food so it's just not surprising that uh, you're an educator so you're learning with these and it's funny because what happens is a lot of the times, you know, because I try to think, did I? No, I actually did start writing books, I guess, before I got the goats. Uh, but it's been a lifelong dream of mine to actually have fiber animals. So I always thought I was going to get the alpacas, but but I ended up falling in love with these guys. But what is interesting is I write on these you know, these farming topics that are are more modern homesteading as opposed to I live out on 3,000 acres and I don't have a TV and no electricity, you know, nothing like that. This is a much more modern situation. And so I do, you're right. I mean, I do a lot of things on my farm. I only have five acres. So you know, you, you, I really can't run a huge head here anyway. And, and I'm busy doing other things. I'm also a flower farmer. And so I have to have, you know, acreage for that. We have rabbits and chickens and we only have two ducks right now. Huh? I say that because you know, they're going to have babies. So I don't want to oh, yes, lie. Exactly. Uh, yeah. All right. So as you talk about these things and learn about them and write about them, you're doing them. I mean, a, a portion yes. of my flower farm is dye garden, you know, because I, I wrote a dye garden book and I, I love growing this stuff. And of course I've written about food gardens forever. And so I grow that. So yeah, we're like the eclectic <laughs> people out here, you know, doing yeah. this. Yeah. So, so yeah, it is true. My life cannot be, I really can't be 100% dedicated to fiber farming because I, I do a lot of things. It's really true. Yeah. So, yeah. So let's, yeah. let's talk about the different animals real quickly. We've got sheep, we talked about angora goats, alpacas. We talked about angora rabbits. Are those those are the primary ones? Well, yeah, the sheep, which there are so many different breeds, it's like crazy. The sheep, the goats, the alpacas, the rabbits. You know, there are other animals, and and I know I got a little bit. You know, people have been really nice, but some people are like, yeah, why didn't you mention llamas? I'm like, you know, llamas have very spinnable fiber. The thing is, is that they were bred as beasts of burden. Mm. That's really their pack animals. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and while their coat, like it's awesome because you have this secondary thing. Yeah. You've got their coat too. Just like there's meat breeds of sheep, right? And you still can use some of their fiber. So 
It is a dual animal, but the thing is, it doesn't produce the quality of fiber that an alpaca produces, and certainly not as much usable fiber. So if you were going to go out and say, I'm going to start a fiber farm, you probably would not start with llamas. Like you can spin it. So it's the same. Other people go, well, what about, you know, Jersey woolly rabbits and American fuzzy rabbits? That is spinnable fiber, but they don't produce a lot of it where you would create a fiber farm with it. It's just, it's not super logical. I mean, I mean, people I know spin dog and cat fiber too. Comes out awesome. I mean, these people are are crazy hand spinners. They do everything, but you're not going to raise dogs or cats to spin fire. It's just not logical. So I kind of suck with those four, you know, for that reason. Well, they make the, the, they make the logical sense for production wise. That's exactly my, yep. And that was my thing production wise. That was exactly what we were talking about. And, and also I'd love to tell the listeners too, if you were going to get into fiber animals and, and say sheep were something you were really interested in, I want to encourage people to also consider a heritage or conservation wool breed. Yes. I real I really, you know, I, I mean, I, I want people to go with what they'll, they'll love because then the animal really benefits from that. But if you just take a a quick look at the uh, Livestock Conservancy, they have these animals that are disappearing, you know, from our landscape. And these are wonderful producers. And, you know, one of the reasons I think in the past, sometimes people were a little hesitant were because people had not, people meaning the fiber artists that were going to, to buy this fiber, they may not have heard of these breeds. And the brilliance of the Livestock Conservancy is they created a shave them to save them campaign. It is so cool. And I'm, I'm trying not to join it because I don't have time to spin right now, but I am, gosh, it's so hard. <laughs> go right? on to, yeah, if you go onto Facebook, what they have done is they've created this cool little thing where they are bringing the fiber artists together with the breeders of these animals and the fiber artists are buying from them and they're spinning up things and they put it on Facebook and they get this little passport and a sticker and they win prizes. And But it introduces people to these rare breeds and they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know this could produce this nice of a fiber. And now they're buying from that person. So going back to what I was saying before, some people might have been hesitant because they're like, well, who's going to buy this rare breed? No one even has heard of them. Well, the Livestock Conservancy is trying to make sure people do hear of them. And so they can keep these things alive. So, yeah, so I really urge people to check that out if you're into sheep. Um, And my book will tell you maybe some of the differences and, you know, between the alpacas and having rabbits and and sheep or goats and what these differences might be, what might suit your personality. Awesome. So one of the chapters in your book says, congratulations, you're a fiber farmer. Tell me about that. Right. Well, that one probably is my shortest chapter. And basically just talking about what we talked about before, you know, the different items that can be used with these fibers and maybe what you can do with it. Um, You know, some people have a couple of fiber animals and they just keep it for their own crafting and their own use. And some people turn around and sell it and, you know, decide I'm going to make a little extra income and help, you know, pay for my animal's feed, which is of course the brilliant way to do it. Um, right. know, that, that always makes it so everybody in the household is happy that you've got these animals. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, look what I sold, you know? So that's kind of nice. The other thing I, I should also point out that I really want to urge people to consider is that this is very, you know, having fiber animals is very different from having something like a milking animal and that sort of thing. Fiber animals do not need to be bred. 
Okay, you don't have to breed animals. So in other words, some people think in terms of, well, if I get these fiber animals, I have to get a pair, a breeding pair, and then I, I will grow. My farm is going to grow just by osmosis. That's actually not true. Remember, all these animals are going to produce fiber no matter what until they die. So you could have two fiber does, like you could have two fiber goat does, you could have two sheep, you could have two weathers, which is simply the, the male animals without their testicles. They produce that fiber forever. You would never have to breed or have any more animals, and yet you would constantly produce fiber, right? So mm -hmm. it's like a really cool thing to think about because even people who live in an apartment or condominium could have one rabbit or two rabbits, and they're fiber farmers. They could sell that fiber and call themselves fiber farmers. Absolutely. I mean, it's like, you know, so it's kind of neat that they, like with a dairy animal, you would have to breed because that's the only way exactly. our memories, right? Our yep. memories produce milk from breeding. So you don't have to do that with these guys. So I just want to tell people that so they don't think that they have to keep growing, you know, and, you know, their farm. They really don't. They could have a couple of animals that you always want a couple. You always want two or three because they really are not with the rabbits, but uh, all the other animals, they need to have that camaraderie of their own species. But short of that, you could go like that forever. So, so I talk about the fiber crafts, you know, in that section and just a little bit about, a little bit about selling it. I personally always like to tell people because I don't want people to be surprised when they realize they don't become millionaires off of their fiber. Um, <laughs> right. They, you don't. You're not going to literally make money, but that isn't to say you can't offset your feed bill. And then also that isn't to say because I personally see as I say this, I know a couple people in my head that are making money, but they are also this is their life. Yes. Like this is their life. The people I'm telling you about travel the country for these shows. Their animals are award-winning animals. Their fleeces are award-winning fleeces. They sell the animals and they sell the fiber. And they prepare that fiber like stunning. Like they might make, uh, you know, like mohair locks look like, I mean, it's like amazing. The magazine cover stuff. And then they sell it. And they're also well-known. They've built themselves up over 20 years. And so, yeah, they, yeah, they are making money. That's true. But, but the majority of us, you know what I mean? It's just like authors, right? right. People, I can't tell you how many people think I'm rich because I've written books. Written books, exactly. I'm like, oh yeah, no, she, I, I wish I was Stephen King. That's not the case here. Yeah. So most of us are not going to see that kind of money. And so I just want people to be aware, thinking to themselves, oh, you know, that could be my income. Like not for survival, probably, you know, I hate to never say never. I know there's some people who could do it, but most of us, you know, we're doing it in a smaller way. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, and you know, farming isn't really, you're not going to get rich farming. You're not, you're not. And so don't it, say that too, too loudly because I got a fiber farm going, I mean, a yeah. flower farm. You got the flowers going over here. My husband's hopes are high. So, well, but, and when I say that you might get plenty rich in your heart and with you, what you love. I mean, that's why I do what I do. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know what? Because what it does is, you know, the term rich and, and even about rich in your heart, I, I always think of it in terms of, yes, you have to earn a living. Of course you do. You don't want to be scared. Your lights are going to be turned off. I mean, you know, no one likes that. Right. But you know, if, if, if you're, 
if you're covering all that, and I don't mean necessarily just with farming, but if you're covering that in whatever way you're doing that, this other stuff that doesn't make you rich financially, that said, it makes your life, if this is how you're geared, of course. My parents are not geared towards this. This <laughs> I think right. this, might, this might be torturous for them. So, yep. you know, but if you're geared for this sort of lifestyle, what happens is it makes your life worth living. It makes your everyday life so pleasant that, you know, I'll tell you something. Like, I've, I never tell my family. I've never said this to my family. That I mean, they want an electric gate on our, on our farm. Mm-hmm. We have a gate that you have to get out. And unlock and roll it. It's on a wheel. You got to unroll it. And you got to get out of the car and bring it in. They got to close it behind the car. My family goes crazy. They're like, we need to get, this is ridiculous. And you know what? I love opening that gate. Love it. I never have told them that. I love it. Mm-hmm. I, I open my gate and I'm smiling. My goats are to the right of me and I've got some other native plants all to the left and everything. And I walk in and I think, yeah, my farm. <laughs> and nice. I don't know if I get that same feeling, not pushing that gate open yeah. and going, I'm coming into my farm. Like it's just a thing, you know, it's just, it's a weird oh, moment. Yes. And so I don't want an electric gate. I don't, I don't want anything to do with it. And it's, so it's such a, it's just a thing for me that this is a lifestyle I love. And it reminds me of that funky lifestyle as I'm rolling this gate on its little wheel, you know, to open up to my farm. It's oh, just, yeah. it, so it's just my thing. Like, you know, other people might have something else they think of and it's just, you know, so it makes it, it makes it a life, like it's a lifestyle that is super cool. Yeah. Like if you're geared towards this, it's very cool. Well, I, I mentioned this before we started recording, and, and I want to circle back to it because this is exactly what we're talking about, the richness of life. One of the things that I love so much about doing this podcast, and we've, we're almost 550 episodes, I get wow. to talk to so many cool people and have wow. these rich, rich conversations just like today. Right. Yep. It's it's amazing, and I, that's why I love talking to other farmers. And they tell, oh my gosh, we have we live in an agritourism area, mm-hmm. a lot of agritourism here, and I like to talk to other people who like aren't doing what I'm doing. But then I think, oh, like I said, I want to do that, you know. So, like these guys raise Christmas trees, right? Yep. And and when they talk about the land and they talk about what they're doing and they talk about the families that come up there and have made it a tradition. For 30 years, Mm. coming to their tree farm and stuff. And it's just, you know, and the same people they have hot cocoa with. So, like, think about that. There are some people who don't even get to see their families every Christmas because they live across the country or what have you. And it might be like, this year we're getting all together, whatever. These guys have families that the same family every year, they sit around their campfire, they break out the hot cocoa because most of the Christmas tree farms love to give you hot cocoa. So you're out there and it's the same people and they're watching their children grow. Yep. And they bring back their grandchildren. And these people, it's like, what a life. I mean, you're like part of... The extended family of everyone. And I'm telling you, when when a tree farm goes out or somebody passes away and then the farm is sold, there's like true mourning. And you know what's Mm -hmm. really interesting? And I think this is super cool too. So sad for the new people, but like a new person will take it over or something. And any one of these farms up here might be an apple tree farm, whatever. And they'll still call it 
the old Nielsen place. You know, like these right. poor new people get there and they hang their shingle and they call it something else and they're so excited and everyone keeps calling it, yeah, the old Nielsen place. You know, like it's super <laughs> funny. It's like, because you exactly. can't help it, the fond memories, you know. So I just think it's just, it's not only creating a, a super great life for you, but honestly, I will tell you in this area where I'm at now, I wasn't raised in this area but I got here as fast as I could. I've been I've been back and forth up here forever. And we have an area called Apple Hill. I've been going to Apple Hill my entire life. So to be a part of this area, and now mm-hmm. we just we actually just became part of Farm Trails, which is just a whole agritourism thing. We just became a part of that the other day. And it's really cool because my entire life I've come up to these farm trails and now I get to do it finally. So nice. It's really cool, but but see, this isn't like a beginning. It's a beginning for me in some ways, but I'm saying it's an extension of what I always did even as a child was come up here yeah. and do this. So it's just extending what I had always done. So it's, it is. It's a rich life. There's no doubt about yep. that. Yep. Yeah. So we can get really rich doing this. Yes, that's true. Just that's not true. maybe dollars in the bank. Yeah, I just don't want people to think, oh, I'll become, you know a sheep farmer and a producer and and maybe make a ton but on the other hand like i said should that be your sole focus and should mm-hmm. you find a little niche for yourself I may be wrong, you know, but I just want to help people not make a decision like, I'm going to stop being an attorney. And I think I'm going to, <laughs> right. you may want to stop being an attorney, but I just don't think you're going to switch the money like that. It's not going to really yeah. probably translate. So, wow. yeah. So we're talking to Chris McLaughlin today, Raising Animals for Fiber. Her book, when did it come out? Um, it came out last May. Last May. All right, great. So yeah. you're just about a year into it. It's, uh, yep. one, it's a beautiful book. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah, we got animals on the front cover and nice colored pictures throughout. You know, they they did a really you did a really good job at Well, um, they did a job. They I love their layout. Yeah. You know, I was really happy when I saw it. I was like, "Oh, I love this." So, yeah, they 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 did a really good job over there. Nice. Nice, yeah. nice. And who is the publisher? Um, it's Companion. That's what I thought I saw. Yeah. Well, it's Companion House Books. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, beautiful book. You can find yeah. where, where can we find your book at? Um, gosh, you can find it anywhere. Um, you can go to Amazon and find it, or you can find it at Barnes and Noble. Mm-hmm. You know, pretty much anywhere. I'm gonna actually, I have it on one of my websites, but actually, I may actually have it on my website, so you could buy it there, and I'll sign a copy and send it to you. Perfect. Oh, that'd be <laughs> You'd good. rather do it that way? You can. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. What's your website? Yeah. It's uh, laughingcrowco.com. Perfect. So I want to shift on you quickly. And sure. as a returning guest, do you have any memories of food from when you were younger? You know, the one memory that I can think of that, that has to do with food is more of a of a, a family situation thing. My dad is Italian. And so he had all these Italians, you know, on that side. And the majority of them had come from Italy. And so they have, when Italians eat, like, dude, this is this is some serious stuff going on. You know, they do courses. So you sit at the table for hours. Mm. Like, I mean, you're not eating for all those hours. I mean, I, I don't recall anyone being like huge for eating, you know, all that time. But you're sitting at the table and then, you know, so they break out, you know, the, the uh, antipasti. You know, the the beginning stuff. And then they bring the main course and then they bring, which is like the meats and stuff. And then they bring like the pasta after that. And then, you know, and it's super funny how you're just sitting there and it may take a while for the other stuff to come to you, but everybody is so loud 
and talking and yelling. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, these people yelling, they want to reach across the table and strangle each other. It might be like a political, you know, disrupt or something. And, um, and then like in the next course, they're all laughing together and throwing up their hands and what, you know, it's super funny. It's just a, yeah. a very big time of communication. And, um, but it was centered around the food. There was right. just constant, you know, um, food, Joy. brain, broth, wine. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was really funny because even in the same moment, like it was super funny. The family never seemed to, like they might even yell at each other or get annoyed or get loud. Um, but like they never left the table that way. Um, it always circled back to something else where everyone was laughing and slapping each other on the back again and stuff. So it's kind of interesting, this full circle of communication and all of its levels. So I, you know, and so that was centered around food. I mean, you know, so it's interesting. Beautiful. Well, thank you yeah. so much for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. How can our listeners find you? Um, well, they can find me um, at laughingcrowco.com or Instagram is also laughingcrowco. That's kind of easy. And my Facebook page is laughingcrow and company. And so beautiful you probably see there too. Beautiful, beautiful. You can also yeah. find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash laughing crow. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.